Sexism, from the sermon series, Justice Matters, spoken by Pastor Peter Ahn. Well, good morning, Metro. Wow, I'm a little loud. And good morning to those in the nursery. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad you're here. And uh, when you think about God and uh, you think about the gospel message, which is really God's love for us, we find that God doesn't just love us a little bit or even moderately, but that God has a deep, profound love for us. In the biblical vernacular, it actually says that God loves us so very much. When I was dating my wife back in college, she would ask me this question a lot of times in Korean. She would say, how much do you love me? And she taught me the response I should give, because, you know, I, I didn't know what response, but the response was simply this, I love you to the highest of heavens. I love you to the lowest of valleys, and I love you to the depths of the sea. Sounds corny a little bit, doesn't it? But we would do that. We even do that even this day. We're like, how much do you love me? And she'll say it. I'll say it. We'll say that. But that's really how God loves you. He loves you to the highest of heavens. He loves you to the lowest of valleys, and he loves you to the deepest parts of any ocean that this world has. And because of that, because he loves you, there was a point in history where he couldn't just sit back and allow our brokenness or our sinfulness destroy our lives because there was an enemy in which you and I may not even know and recognize at times, but the enemy is called Satan. And as he had his way with us and humanity, God, because of his love, because his love for us was so great, they couldn't just sit back and watch us sulk in the depths and brokenness of our sins. And so as a result, he sent the greatest warrior known to man. It was his own son, Jesus Christ. And he defeated Satan once and for all, defeated sin once and for all through how? How did he do it? He did it through love. He did it through love. And so when you think about the gospel message, this story of how God loves us, you have to know that the depth of the heart of the gospel is, is deeply rooted in justice. That God truly loves us, and because he loves us, he cares about justice. It really does matter to him. If I found out that somebody physically or sexually abused one of my children, if I found out that that happened to my wife, I would seek justice even to the point of maybe going to jail for it. Seriously. Why do I, would I go that far? Because I have a deep, profound love for my family. And if somebody were to hurt them because they were defenseless to defend themselves, I would do whatever I could to defend them and to seek justice on their behalf. Amen? Do you, does that make sense to all of you? So then when you think about God, and if God says he loves you to the highest of heavens, to the deepest parts of the valley, and to the deepest parts of the ocean, when he sees one of his children whom he has created in his image, when he sees one of us get hurt, when he sees somebody that's in a position of power hurting somebody, one that he truly loves, don't you think God is going to want to seek justice? And so the heart of the gospel message, this love story that God has for you and me, is truly of this idea of justice. So justice does matter to God. And that's why we're in this series called Justice Matters. And I, I got to be honest, I think this series is a difficult series for any church to preach on. Because justice forces you and I to ask the question, how have we been complicit in creating the injustice in our society today? And that's not a question I think a lot of you would actually want to ask yourselves today. It's not a question that I like to ask myself. But we have to think about that. The first week, Michael Carrion came and he spoke about justice of immigrants. 
and how unfortunate. That's not happening even in our country today. Last Sunday, Pastor Kevin talked to you about the justice of our environment. And I know some of you are like, what? Is that really a justice issue? You better believe it's a justice issue. God created this world. And when you read Genesis 1, it's like this artist creating the canvas of this universe. And every time God would create parts of this universe, he took a step back and it says, he said it was good. And God entrusted us, men and women, to care for this world. And so when you meet a Christian and they talk about the environment and how we are to care for our world here, planet Earth, we can't just assume that they're just tree huggers. They're deeply spiritual, deeply biblical people. And so Kevin talked to us about that last Sunday. And today, I have the honor, but also the very difficult task to share with you how God sees women that there needs to be justice for women in our world today, even here in this church and around us. God loves women. Do you believe that? He created every woman in his image. And unfortunately, the church is so guilty of this as well, and the world. We have not done a great job of helping women see that they truly are created in the very image of God. God loves women. I hear men sometimes say, I love women. Yeah, you love women, but it's more about lusting after women. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of men will say that, I love women. God is going to teach you to love women very differently today. That's actually going to cause you to be a little bit uncomfortable, but I do hope that you'll be willing to stay with me on that. I'm grateful for the Me Too movement, if you're not aware of what Me Too is. It's a, it's a movement, a social media movement, a, a global movement of women sharing, giving their voice, of sharing finally where they feel like they have a platform to share how they have been abused by the hands of men in power. How they have been abused either physically, sexually, whatever it be, even at work. That they were able to share these things. And finally, we have not only lent an ear to hear, but we as a society has evolved at certain levels where we're willing to hold men accountable for what they have done. And that's really never happened before in time. And so as a result of that, what's happening? Men are going to jail as a result of it. I'm not going to name names because I'm not about that today. Men are losing their jobs. Men, positions of tremendous power, are losing their jobs because of sexual harassment scandals that they have been going, that they have been a part of. Generally, I think what's happening today is that men are being woke a little bit. That they have to be careful how they treat women, and they have to be careful in what they say. And that's a good thing, Metro Community Church. It's a real good thing. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked to us about restorative justice being contrasted with punitive justice. I'm not going to talk about punitive justice today, about men maybe not seeing women the way God sees them. I want to sort of get to a place today where we can emphasize this restorative justice, that you and I can both see women the way God sees women. Some of us have grown up in very conservative churches, and we were taught that women should not really lead within the church. Women shouldn't be pastors, maybe children's pastor, but they should not be a pastor where they lead adults. Certainly women should not be a senior pastor. Some of us have been taught that women shouldn't hold any leadership positions in the church. And some traditions come from a place where they say women shouldn't even be allowed up here on stage. That that's only reserved for men. And I just have to really honestly tell you, 
that if that's your posture, men and women alike, because women, you grew up in these traditions as well. If you believe that, that's downright sinful. It's downright sinful. And we're going to talk about why that is. We're going to talk about why that is. So if you're a woman today, my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit will liberate you today because Jesus' death and resurrection is just that liberating. May you be able to dream dreams that God has for you. And if a man has dashed that to pieces in your life, I pray that the Holy Spirit would resurrect those dreams again in you. And if you're a man, my hope and my prayer today is that God would so open your eyes, there would be a deep illumination within you, and that you would be able to aspire to be like our Lord and Savior Jesus. That you too will be an advocate of women so that all of us can be free to be what God has called us to be. And at the end of the day, God has called you and I to be a royal priesthood. And so before we go into this, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads. I'm going to ask that you would just ask God to speak to you, but that you would have a heart of openness. And if you're a man, I'm going to ask you to ask God to help you, to give you the strength to listen to what he will have to say to you today. I'll give you a brief moment to do that, and then I'm just going to pray. God, sometimes it's baffling to think that we can talk about subjects like this on a Sunday. But sometimes we often forget that the depth of the gospel, at the heart of what the gospel message is about, is about justice. And so, God, I pray that you'd speak to us. As we look at some passages in Scripture, I pray that you would help us to understand how you see women today. I pray for every man in this room that you would give us a deeper way of understanding women and how you see women today. And I pray for all the women here today. I pray for those who maybe have come from very conservative traditions, and maybe this will be hard for them to listen to. I pray that you would speak to them as well. I pray for women in this room that have been discriminated upon because they are a woman. I pray for women in this room that have always felt like they were in a precarious situation because there was some guy who looked like much stronger than they are, and they always felt fearful of what might happen. And I pray for every woman in this room who have been abused by a man. I pray, God, for healing in their lives. And I pray, God, that um, they would know how much you truly love them and care for them. So, God, we just ask that you would bring unity. We ask that your mercy would come and that you'd speak to us today. And so may the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, I pray, God, that it will be indeed pleasing unto you. It is your name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. It's really important that a man preaches this message. Um, you know, I, you might say, well, well, how come you're preaching it? Shouldn't a woman be preaching this? I think that's probably a normal, um, and I can honor that for sure. But my fear was that I didn't want you guys to tune out. And very rarely do you actually find men advocating. Well, I think you do more nowadays advocating for women's rights. And it's not a social thing. Sometimes we think these are political, social things, but it's a gospel-centered thing. And so that's why I'm here preaching on this topic. And uh, I'm going to be very honest. This topic destroyed me this week. Very hard for me to go through all of this this week, and I'll kind of share that with you as we go along. I want to share with you a little bit about what it was like to be a woman growing up in a first-century context. 
what it was like for a woman to grow up in a first century context, in sort of in the context of a Greek woman, in the context of a, a woman who grew up in the Roman Empire, and in the context of a Jewish woman, okay? Women back in the New Testament weren't just discriminated upon, they were severely oppressed. Sort of, they were considered a, probably on the same level of a slave back in the New Testament times. They were a bit higher on the social totem pole than a dog. That's how women were viewed back in the first century, all right? Here's a dog, and then there's a woman. And then you keep going up on the social totem pole. The Greeks believed that a woman's primary purpose was to bear sons for their husband. And they also believed that a woman existed to, to sort of uh, increase sexual pleasures for men. That was the purpose of a woman, and that was it. To bear sons for their husband and also to, give, to provide sexual pleasure for men. In the Roman world, a woman was not able to survive unless they live under the authority of a man. And that authority had to come from the form of their father or a husband. Or there was no single ladies, or they shouldn't have been. If you were single back in the Roman world and you were a woman, you were in a very precarious situation. Because the only way you could survive is if a man protected you. Either it was your father or it was your husband, all right? There was no way a woman could be single. They didn't have the luxury to say, I want to be single. Or maybe God has given me the gift of celibacy back in those days. They couldn't do that because life was way too dangerous for them, all right? Now, in the Jewish world, women received minimal, very minimal religious instruction at best. Their role in Jewish worship was restricted. They couldn't enter into a temple and enter into the intersections where men were allowed to go to. Even when they entered into synagogues, they were just passive observers rather than active participants. Why was that for a Jewish woman? Because for a Jewish woman in the first century, their primary function was domestic. Men had told them that their primary function was one of being sort of in the home and being a housewife. Now, there is nothing wrong with being a housewife. If that is a passion in which God has called you as a lady to, to pursue, to be a housewife, that is one of the most gifted, blessed callings in your life. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not all you. That doesn't make who you are. That doesn't make why you're here on earth for, just to be a housewife. Right? Women's primary function back in the first century in the Jewish culture was basically reduced to the home. They didn't contribute to public life, and no rabbi would ever consider allowing a woman to come up or even teaching or even listening to a woman in terms of spiritual matters. In fact, every Jewish man would wake up in the morning, and they would pray a certain prayer. And the prayer would go something like this. Blessed art thou who has not made me a woman. Blessed art thou who has not made me a slave. Blessed art thou that has not made me Greek. A Jewish man would pray that prayer every single day in the temple or in the synagogue. And that's why when Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, he indicts the Jewish community, the Jewish men, because he says in Galatians 3.28, for there's neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave nor free, because we are all one in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Paul is a stud. I mean, he was going at it with the Jewish community there. Some Jewish teachers consider women to be the source of sin and death in the world. They taught that women are more sensual and less rational than men. Therefore, they're inferior than men. That was the Jewish view. Their low view of women allowed these Jewish teachers to cite women as examples of undesirable traits all the time. And as a result of it, they trained men to be careful because women can seduce you. They picture them as temptresses. 
And so they encouraged Jewish men, if they wanted to be spiritual and follow the ways of God, they said you are to avoid all social contact with women because they will tempt you sexually. No rabbi would ever consider allowing a woman to sit at their feet and teach them the Torah. That was only reserved for the man. And this is what makes Jesus Christ so revolutionary. Because when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, it was completely upside down in how a typical rabbi and a Jewish man saw a woman. Jesus treated women as a person, and he was so comfortable being around them. He rejected this Jewish notion that a woman's role was just to be domestic. He rejected that. And he upheld and he affirmed women. And, and he didn't endorse this idea that women were, are not to learn the ways of God through the Torah. No, he taught women the Bible. That's how radical Jesus was back in the first century. He allowed women to sit at his feet, and he taught them the ways of God. Jesus set aside the customary prejudices of his day and restored women by giving them back their dignity. And that's really what we are called to do as well. Because if God truly cares about justice for all his people in which he loves, then he's calling us men to restore the dignity of women today because that is doing the very work of God. Can I get an amen? Jewish society believed that women delivered... The women derive their identity from a man. They believe that a woman, to find their identity, they need to find that through a man. They taught that. Jesus, however, taught that all persons find their identity in a true relationship with God. Therefore, Jesus didn't perpetuate this widely held attitude that favored men at the expense of women. He didn't. He didn't view women primarily within their cultural assigned roles of wife and mother. And he refused to consider women as a source of sexual temptation. Let me ask you Christian men today. Do you believe women are a source of your sexual temptation? Now, I think a lot of us, if we think about that for a little bit, we'll say, no, nah, no, they're not. But I'm here to say that probably the majority of us in this room, we would say yes, that women can be the source of my sexual temptation. Years ago, we used to have staff lunch every month. We would go out together just to kind of promote fellowship with our staff, and we would eat together, and it would just be a great time. We'd laugh together and stuff. And uh, somebody at our church had came up to me and said, you know, perhaps, Peter, you should make an announcement one Sunday, because it was summertime, that women should address, dress a little bit more appropriately on Sundays. And I just said, well, I think that's a pretty good idea. So I decided to mention it to the staff at staff lunch. I said, hey, do you think it's okay for me to get up on stage and mention and say to women, just be careful what you wear in the summer because, you know, men will struggle. And uh, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready to receive the onslaught that I deserve from these ladies and our staff. I was flabbergasted, Metro. I was overwhelmed by what they were saying. And they said, why do we have to worry about your issues? And why do you have to control and police our bodies all the time? Why do men feel like they have the right to police and control our bodies? This is my body. Why do you, have to, why do you get a right to tell me how I can dress and how I cannot dress? I mean, I wasn't prepared for that. I really wasn't. Our staff is really, we love each other, kumbaya, all the time. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. I mean, it was like all of them, bam. And I was just like, wow, I am so wrong. Why do I have to tell a woman to be careful in how they dress? Why do I have to try to control it? Why do I think they're a source of my sexual temptation? Isn't that just our sins, our issues? Why do we have to project that on women? And so I think a lot of us here in this room, we do believe deep down women can be a source of our sexual temptation. Jesus never did that. 
even though rabbis taught that all the time. Jesus viewed all people, whether male or female, as persons. And he associated with them so freely. That was the most beautiful thing about Jesus Christ. He responded to them with compassion and love. He did that. And uh, in and, and, and times in the first century, he used women sometimes. And we're going to look at a passage today where he taught men how they are to live their lives for God. He did that, which was amazing. Remember the story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years? She was ceremoniously unclean. She could not touch a rabbi. You can't touch a, a holy man or a teacher when you're ceremoniously unclean. But she did. She touched the hem of his robe. And he said, hey, who touched me? And his disciples were like, are you crazy? Everyone's touching you. And she confessed. She said, it was me. And he could have persecuted her. He says, you shouldn't have touched me. But he looked at her and he said, your faith has made you well, sister. Go in peace. He did things that no rabbi would ever do. And, and Jesus not only received women who came to him, but he considered women such as Lazarus' sisters as his BFFs. Did you know Jesus' closest friends were women? I don't know if you knew that, right? Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, they were some of his closest friends. And so when Jesus did this, he clearly demonstrated that men and women could intimately relate to each other on more than just a sexual level. Shattering, shattering. Jesus likewise pointed out certain women who exemplified really the proper ways of living for God. Remember when he, we studied this a year ago, maybe about several months ago, when he looked at what everyone was putting in the offering basket, and there was that poor widow who put the two coins, and he teaches his disciples, if you want to be a generous person, follow the example of that widow. He's amazing when he did that. I love the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus enters into his house. Martha knew the rules of what a woman was supposed to do. And she got very upset at Jesus and Mary for not understanding that role. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he was saying. Now, he wasn't just talking about current events there. He was teaching the ways of God. He was teaching the Torah. Mary was sitting at his feet. And so Martha was getting angry, right? It says Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Basically, she's saying, don't you know she's not supposed to be doing this? Her role is in the kitchen. And look at what Jesus says. Look at how he responds. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. My goodness. It's like drop the mic. Powerful. What he was teaching Mary and what he was teaching even his disciples was that women's role was not just domestic. There were much more than that. And that may not be revolutionary today, but back in the first century, it was absolutely revolution. That's why Mar Martha got so angry and upset that Mary didn't know her role in the home. And she was so angry that she was sitting and learning the ways of God. Can I ask you men today, do you believe that a woman's role is domestic only? Can I ask you married men today, do you believe your wife's role primarily when you're in the house is domestic only? Again, there's nothing wrong when a woman feels like she's called to be a housewife. That's a beautiful calling. Raising your family, one of the most important things that God could encourage you to do. But is there equity in your home? Or does the wife do everything and you expect her to do it? 
Jesus didn't. He didn't. The second thing that Jesus teaches uh, uh, Martha and these women is that women are to learn the ways of God. That they are really to learn the ways of God. No rabbi, again, would ever consider teaching a woman the ways of the Torah. But Jesus did. He taught women the Bible. And that was such a radical thing back in those days. And that's why it was, it was women that were at Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. It was women that were there, not men. Why? Because they weren't just losing a teacher. They were losing the only person who had ever believed in them and empowered them to live out God's purpose for their life. That's why they were there. Do you know that women were the first ones to witness the resurrection? God entrusted women to experience that, and he entrusted them to take that message to men. Women were the first ones to witness the resurrection, which is the greatest moment in human history. And God entrusted that message to be given to women. That says something about God, doesn't it? You don't think God could have got a couple of guys to witness that? But it was women. And they went. And they told the disciples that Jesus Christ has truly resurrected from the dead. That God was willing to entrust and had faith that women can do it. Perhaps maybe even better than men. And that he entrusted them with that message. Now, not only did Jesus embrace them, teach them the ways of the Torah, but you know what else Jesus did which was radical? He depended on them for, for money. He depended on them for finances. Now that's, for a rabbi to depend upon a woman or to receive funds from women to do their ministry, it was as uncomfortable and as, as, and, and as uncommon as a parent receiving money from their kids to pay for their rent. You don't do that. If your kid is little, maybe when they get older you can take their money, all right? and they make a lot of money, it's okay to do that. But when you're a little child, you don't take your kid's money to pay for your bills. I mean, you're sick for doing that. This week, my wife paid my son back five, she borrowed $5 from him. And I remember just, I said, why are you paying him back $5? I mean, like, we give this kid money all the time. Just take it, you don't have to pay him back. And she just said, Peter, that's so wrong. I told him I'd pay him back, I gotta pay him back the $5. And it was the right thing to do. Back in the first century, no rabbi would ever depend upon a woman to support their ministry. Because at the end of the day, not only was it uncomfortable, they didn't want to admit that they needed help from a woman to do their ministry. But Jesus, my goodness, he did. Look what it says in Luke 8, 1 through 3. I don't know if you ever read this before. Look what it says. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some woman who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. You get that? These women got together and they financially supported Jesus Christ out of their own means. And because of that, Jesus set the tone. And as a result, did you know that the early church was fantastic in allowing women to lead? Do you know that women had a great place in the early church, in the first century church, where they were able to hold leadership positions in the church? There's a book written by Rodney Starks. It's called The Rise of Christianity. It's a good book. It's long. It's about 700 pages. But if you read it, he says one of the greatest, and the book was all about how did this movement of these small little 12 misfits, how did this become the greatest movement of all in the world, in the history of the world? What were some of the things that sort of contributed to it? Of course, you can say it was God. Yes, it was God. But what really contributed to the explosion of the early church in the first century? Well, you know what the main reason was, he said? 
It was because the early church was the only place where women could actually have a role in leadership. It was so atypical from any other place that they had experienced that women were flocking to the church and they were able to lead the church. Women, Christian women in Jerusalem were being persecuted right alongside of Jewish men in the church back in the first century in Jerusalem. And as a result, you meet leaders in Paul's epistles like Lydia. You meet leaders like Phoebe who was a deacon. Priscilla who was a church planter, right? She was teaching the Bible with her husband right alongside of him. In the, in the book of Romans, you find that Paul lists women apostles. Women continue to do so much for the church, even today, even though they may not get even recognized, but women do so much. They oftentimes are the backbone of the church today. Amen? They are. And when you look at the Old Testament, you'll find that there are passages of, 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 of passages in the Old Testament where women, God uses women to literally save the people of God. Esther is a beautiful story. You read the story of Miriam, Hannah, Ruth, Naomi, but the, probably the best story. And, and it was great because as we did sermon practice this week, it's just, you know, Pastor Doug just kind of, and, and Auntie just said, you got to talk about Deborah. you got to talk about Deborah in the Old Testament because Deborah, I mean, she was awesome. All right? Judges 4, 4 through 9. Deborah was a prophet. She was a judge. Look at what she was doing. Look at how God had, look at how much authority and position God had given her back in this time. Now, Deborah, a prophet of the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She was leading Israel at that time. There was no other person who had more authority and power than Deborah did. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And look at how Barak responds, all right? I know it's hard to read Barak. Barack Obama, the president, is in here, all right? Uh, look at how Barack responds. He says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Look at how she responds because she has all the authority. God's given it to her. She says, well, I'll go with you. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman. That's beautiful, isn't it? So Deborah went with Barack to Kedesh. She was an amazingly strong leader. She was prophetic. She was a judge. She had authority of God and the power of God. And she told Barak, you can't. Well, if you're not going to trust in the Lord, then guess what? This country's hands will be delivered into the hands of a woman. The church has really taken a step back today. Where we've looked down upon women and their role in the church. And I get it. Why? Because some of you um, folks who've read Paul's epistles in Timothy and Corinthians... Paul says that a woman should not have authority over a man in the church. She should not be teaching. And sometimes we take those passages so literally that we think then that Paul meant that for all. But when you look at the contextualization of why Paul wrote that, back in the first century, when you look at the communion which Paul was writing to in Corinth, there were some women, because women were holding high leadership positions in the church. And there were some women that were being extremely destructive, like men were being, like men can be destructive in a church leadership role. Just because women are destructive in a church leadership role doesn't mean that men are. Men are just as much, if not more. And the word that Paul uses for the word authority, if he really believed that a woman should not have authority over a man, should have been the word in which he uses the same authority that God has over us. It's a healthy, a good 
righteous authority. But when you look at the, the Greek language and the word authority that Paul uses, it's translated as destructive authority, like the authority that somebody would have if they had a bomb or if they had a gun. It's a destructive authority. So when you read that in the original language, Paul is saying a woman who has that kind of destructive authority should have no authority over a man. That's what he's saying. Because when you read Paul and you read his letters, Paul doesn't believe that women should be reduced, that they shouldn't be leading the church. He was talking about that specific church in and of itself. And so therefore, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, when you look at even Paul, when you look at the letters and look at how women took such a prominent role in the New Testament and even the Old Testament, when you look at that, then we as children of God, if God calls a woman to be a pastor, if God calls women to be a teacher, a mother, a CEO of a company, that we Christian men must support that. Amen? Because God is calling them to do that. In fact, one of the main reasons why I chose our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is because how much they embraced and encouraged women and affirmed women in ministry. And our denomination doesn't just have women senior pastors. We have women superintendents. Do you know Pastor Kevin's sister is a superintendent of a conference, of the Midwest Conference in our denomination? She is the pastor of pastors. We have women serving in major executive leadership positions in our denomination. Even in the midst of that, there are even pastors, some pastors, some churches in our denomination that don't believe that women should be holding these roles. Sad reality, right? It is a sad reality. And so how can we be more like Jesus? How can we grow and be more spiritual the way Jesus is obviously spiritual and the way God sees women? How are we able to do that? I really do believe we have to learn from a woman to be more spiritual. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me Luke chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 36 through 50. And what Jesus is going to do is that he taught Simon the Pharisee how to be a spiritual man by looking at the woman's example. All right? And that's very important for you and I. Do you believe you can learn a lot from a woman? Do you? I do hope so because Jesus did. And Jesus pointed to women all the time and always told others you are to live like this. All right? So look at verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Again, prophets, rabbis are not allowed, or women should not be touching. Sinful people should not be touching them. Jesus answered him, and this is the teaching moment. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money, money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, this is great. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That's huge. All right? Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? 
Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What does Jesus want us to learn and how you and I can be more spiritual from this woman here? Because Simon was a Pharisee. Again, Pharisees back in the first century, we look at them, we look down upon them. But in the first century, there was a, they were as spiritual as they get. They were top of the line of the social totem pole of how spiritual people are. And what does Jesus do? And, and how does he teach Simon the Pharisee how you are to live for God? He teaches it through this woman who has a sinful life, like you and I have a sinful life. We all have a sinful life. What does he teach us? I have two quick things. The first thing is this. For God, he looks at, the, he looks at uh, our ability to be humble. God sees spirituality in the form of our level of humility. That's really what it's about for Jesus Christ. God doesn't call someone to do something because he's a man. He calls somebody to do certain things with their lives because they're humble. And that's really what God and Jesus Christ looks for. He looks for the humility of people. This woman was so humble. Why was she humble? She was humble. You just saw what she did. She went. She fell at Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her tears. Now, Jesus' feet were filthy. They were disgusting. Back in those days, they just wore sandals in the desert. Not only were they filled with dirt feces, you name it. And this woman was cleaning his feet with her tears, wiping them off with her hair and kissing his feet and then anointing his feet with an alabaster jar of perfume. She was humble. So what's the definition of humility? Do you think the definition of humility is to think lowly of yourself? Like perhaps maybe you think the reason why this woman is humble is because she was willing to kiss and clean Jesus' dirty feet with her tears? No, that's not the definition of humility. In fact, if you feel like the definition of humility is to think lowly of yourself, you actually might be a little prideful. I know that sounds kind of weird because when you do lowly things then because you think that's what it means to be humble, sometimes you want credit for it, don't you? You always do. Back when I graduated from college, I uh, woke up at 4.45 every morning and I went to church for a morning prayer meeting. I was doing this courageous, sacrificial act every single day, but nobody was noticed because nobody was there. It was just me. It was just the pastor and my friend, just three of us praying every morning at 530 in the morning. We were praying every morning. Nobody was seeing this amazing sacrificial act of this humble servant. And so I wanted people to know. And so I, there was an evening where we played basketball with a couple of guys from the church, about six or seven, or about, no, about ten of us or so. And afterwards we went to a diner to eat dinner. I felt like this was the perfect opportunity for me to tell them. And so how I sort of set it up was I looked really tired. <laughs> I looked like energyless. I was just kind of sitting there like this. And then a couple of the guys said, hey, hey, what's going on? Why do you look so tired? Why do you look so out of it today? And that was my end. I said, well, I'm really tired because I wake up at 4.45 every morning and I drive to church and I pray in the sanctuary every single day. And they said, wow. And when they said that, I was just like, yes. <laughs> wow is right. Wow. And they said, that's amazing. And I thought, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and somebody said, I wish I could do that. And inside, I, internally, I said, yeah, I wish you could do that too. But you can't. That's not humility. That's false humility. Do you know what true humility is? I've said this before. True humility is when you depend fully upon God. That's humility. It's when you just know that you cannot survive unless you have God in your life. This woman, yeah, she cleaned the dirty, Jesus' dirty feet. But you know what made her humble? You know what Jesus saw? That she depended upon him. She depended upon him for everything. And I'm telling you men, if we don't have a humble approach to how God sees women, we're never going to get there. We're never going to get there. It's going to be impossible. 
Because as the stronger, physically stronger sex and the dominant sex in this country, it is so hard for us to see what it's like to be a woman in this culture. You will never, if you're a man, you and I will never know what it's like to be a woman in the 21st century. You'll never know what it feels like to be discriminated upon just because you're a woman. You'll never know what it feels like to be overlooked at positions in a company because perhaps you're a woman. You're never going to know what it feels like to be objectified as just a sexual object when you feel like you're so much more than just a sexual object, but that men reduce women to just sexual objects. You're never going to know what that feels like. And you're certainly never going to know what it's like to feel danger when you're around some men and you don't know what they're capable of doing to you. We will never know that. And the only way we're going to be able to at least gain an appreciation and respect for that is for us to depend fully upon God because God understands the depth and the brokenness of every one of his children's heart. We'll never know that. We need God's humility for this. And you're going to need God today to get to a place where you're going to say, I can learn from women. I can learn from women in this church. You know, we have some amazing spiritual women. And I want to encourage you, if men, if you would humble yourself, depend fully upon God, could I encourage you to maybe connect with a spiritual woman within our church? We have women pastors, women directors of ministry. We have women elders. We have so many spiritual mothers in this church. Would you connect with them and ask them how you can grow and be more like Jesus? Learn. Put yourself in that position. Because so many of us, men and women alike, when we think about how we are to grow in our relationship with God, we always believe that God is going to use a man, that a man is a conduit to how God will speak to us. It's not a man only. It's women as well. Amen? So can we be humble today? If you have a woman boss, guys, that's wonderful. Maybe you can say, hey, can we maybe, can I chat with you for 10, 15 minutes? Maybe you can sit and say, you know, you've been further along in your career. Can you give me some pointers or maybe things that I need to be aware of? Maybe areas that I can grow in to be better? It would be pretty amazing if we did that. You see, in the New Testament, men and women are called to submit to one another. It's not just the women to submit to men. It's men to submit to women. In fact, Ephesians 5, Paul says that. Paul encourages men and women to mutually submit to one another in that way. And my hope is that we would be able to do that as a church. That we would be able to faithfully submit to one another in that way. We have to humble ourselves. We have to depend upon God. And I'm telling you right now, as a man... If we're not going to depend upon God for this, we can never, never understand or at least respect how women have been oppressed and still are oppressed in our society today. We'll never know that. The last thing that Jesus wants us to learn from this woman is that true spirituality is about desiring God's mercy. True spirituality is about desiring God's mercy. Jesus, I love when he says, those who've been forgiven much will love much. Those who've been forgiven little will love little, right? This woman didn't go for Jesus for healing. She didn't even go to Jesus for learning. She went to Jesus for mercy. She desperately needed the mercy of God. And she knew that she couldn't keep living the way she was living. 
And she understood that the only way out for her was for her to live under the mercy of God. And so she approached Jesus, was willing to do everything that was culturally restricted of her to do. She literally broke into a house of a Pharisee. She didn't care what would happen to her. She didn't care about the repercussions of what that would, what that would amount to. And she humbled herself before Jesus and she begged for mercy. When was the last time you longed for God's mercy in your life because of your brokenness? I mean, you really went to God and you begged him and you said, God, I can't move forward in this life unless I live under your mercy. I desperately need your mercy. When was the last time you longed for God's love that you were willing to do whatever it takes to live in it? Do you remember those moments in life? I hope it was very recent because if you have that desire today, if you long for God's mercy in your life, you know what the beautiful thing about that? See, justice, the heart of justice is rooted in mercy. In the Old Testament, when you look at passages of justice, where there are tons of passages, you'll find that they're always connected to mercy, all right? They go hand in hand. And so when you think about the action of justice, what's deeply embedded and rooted in that is mercy. And so as you and I live in the mercy of God, as we ask for God's mercy, naturally what happens, we should be more justice-minded. We should care about what's going on. We should care. Mishfat, which means justice in the Old Testament, literally means to treat people equitably. We should care about that, that all people, men and women alike, should be treated equitably. We should truly, deeply care about that. It's not right for women to work the exact same jobs today as a man and they still make 20% less. That's not right. In fact, this week, uh, Pastor Kevin reminded me this week that uh, it was black women's equal pay. And do you know a black woman makes 70% less than a white man at the same job? Wrap your mind around that. They got to work eight months more to have equal pay as a man. That should bother us. And could I encourage any men here that are in executive or manager type positions, and you have the power, and if you own companies, I want to encourage you. One of the great, greatest ways in how you can restore dignity in the women that work under your supervision is ask yourself, are, is there pay equity there? Is there pay equity? And if there is not, then you should elevate them, and they should be making the same amount as a man makes. That's a great way in how you restore dignity. You know what uh, experts, social experts say? They say it's probably going to take around, they, they, they estimate, and this was an aggressive estimate, they said by 2059 that women would have pay equity as a man. But they said that's kind of wishful thinking. They believe it's going to take at least another 100 years. They predict in 2119 women will have the same amount of pay that a man has doing the same exact job. Does that bother you at all? Men, do you feel like that's an injustice? That's not happening to you. But at the end of the day, it is injustice. It is wrong. And let me encourage you, all right, because women often feel like they're being overlooked for certain positions because they are a woman. And, they've been, and, and maybe they've grown up being told that they can't do certain things, perhaps. And so they don't feel like they can go, can I encourage you to open your eyes, open your ears? And if a woman comes to you and you're in a managerial position and she tells you that she was sexually harassed by a coworker, you listen to them. You don't deny it or you say, ah, it's okay, don't worry about it. You listen to them and you give them your year because you, you need to realize this happens all the time. I worked in television for four years before I went into ministry and I'm telling you, it happens all the time. 
There are things we can do to restore dignity the way Jesus did. He restored dignity. I want to encourage you men to embrace women in leadership roles in the church. To stand for that. To know that's a way of pursuing justice because you are living deep in God's mercy. And as a result of that, you are longing for justice for all. Not just for yourself, but for women as well. And that you would pursue that and you would advocate for that. And that you would do your best to grow, to be a man and a woman that God has created us to be. So naturally, I was working on this sermon, and um, I went up to my wife uh, at the beginning of the week, and I said, hey, uh, honey, do you think I'm a sexist? And I thought she was going to say, uh, no. Honey, you are the greatest advocate. You are the greatest proponent of equal rights for women. And I thought, oh, thank you. You're so sweet, honey. I thought we were going to hug it out. It was going to be one of those great moments, right? So I said, hey, do you think I'm a sexist? And you would think she would take a few minutes to think about that. But in less than like two, three seconds, she said, yes, you are. I said, what? You think I'm a sexist? She said, you are a sexist. I said, why? Why do you think I'm a sexist? She said, because you expect me to do more around the house than you. Because you're a man. And you expect me, because I'm a woman, to do more around the house. And I said, no, I don't. I was like, let's just divide. Like, let's, and I started listing all the things that I do. I said, I do laundry. I clean the house. I share that responsibility with you, right? And now that our kids are getting older, we can kind of task them to do it rather than us, which is phenomenal. When your kids get older, just tell them to do it, right? <laughs> so I started listing these things, right? And then I said, and I cook once a week. And she goes, yeah, who cooks the other six days? <laughs> Shoot. And then she started listing all these things. She said, remember when I went back to work 12 years ago? And I said, because I work full-time as well, I can't do everything around the house. Remember how much we fought? And I'm just going to be honest. I don't really remember that. She does, but I don't. And she kept talking and kept talking about certain things that I did. And I started thinking about my life. I grew up in a home where when my father was drunk, I saw him physically use his strength to beat my mom. I saw that with my own eyes regularly. I grew up in a home where my father believed that a woman's role was to be in the kitchen, and so he never helped out. My mom did everything. That's my narrative. My wife grew up in a home where her father, as well, because this is a typical Korean family, expected the women to do every chore in the house. And that's why she didn't fight me much on it. Because she just accepted it because that's how she grew up. And when she shared all this with me and I reflected upon it, it really hurt. Because I like to think I'm a pretty strong proponent for women. I mean, when Sua decided that she had to move down to North Carolina, who was our executive director for Metro Community Center and Justice Advocacy Compassion Director, I remember telling Kim, I was like, we need to hire a woman pastor to lead our church, and I said, we need to find a woman pastor who could really preach because men in our church need to learn the Bible from a woman. That was me who came up with that. And so we did. We hired Sunita. How amazing is she? She's amazing, right? She teaches. God's given her a gift to preach. That's me. I came up with that. <laughs> I said, you know, we need to have, you know, share power. Our elder board has three women three men. That's me who came up with all of that. I came with that. I felt like I was woke. 
that I'm doing well. But yet it wasn't really well in my home. And I'm here to tell you that my name is Peter On, and I'm a sexist. I am. And I've dedicated myself this weekend, so you can only imagine how much more domestic chores I was doing this week in the house. You got a picture? Yeah, I was getting my cooking, getting my cooking on, cooked almost every day this week. Made sure, made sure I did it. But it has to last for more than just a week, right? You see, restorative justice is really what God has charged all of us to be about. And he's called us men to restore the dignity that women have lost for so long. When God calls a woman to do certain things with their lives, and they're not able to do it because of a man, you know what we're doing? We're destroying the image in which God has created them in, which is his image. We're taking away the very divine image in which God has created a woman to be. And so may you men, may you women all come together and may you support each other together. And men, may we rally around the women that if God is to call them to do certain things with their lives, that they would feel so encouraged by our church to go forth and do it because they are created in the very image of God. And as we do that together as a church, may there be restoration of dignity restored to women in our church and in our world today. We can do it. Why? Because Jesus sets the model and the tone for us. May you be bold in that. And please, can I just end with this? I don't want to divide your marriage this week. Ladies, I don't want you to go to your husband and be like, you see? (laughs) Could I just encourage you to open up the path of communication? You see, my wife and I, the most important thing we did was that we communicated this week. And this is between me and her and our relationship. It's going to look different in other relationships. It really is. I hope this doesn't cause friction in your marriage, but rather it would cause you a greater desire to bring greater unity in your marriage. But if God created a woman in his image, don't you think we as men should affirm it more? Let's pray. So I'm going to give you a few moments. And um, this was a really hard, when I practiced this on Thursday, I cried the whole time. It was hard. So I'm grateful that I didn't cry today. But um, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. And I think for some of us men, we have to really ask ourselves, because our culture has also formed how we are to see women. And so wherever you are, could this be an opportunity where you long for God's mercy? Because if you long for his mercy and you live in it, you're going to be justice-minded. So I'm just going to give you a few moments to do that. And for women here in this room, where you've been, you felt like you've been really your role as a person and as a child of God has been diminished because maybe of something that a man did to you or said to you, can you just surrender yourself to God like this woman did to Jesus? And may you be restored the way this woman was restored today. I'm going to give you just a few moments to do that and I'm going to close this in prayer.
that I forgot to mention to you is that I grew up where that role of a man and a woman was clearly defined by my mom. When I, before I got married, she would even say to me, don't ever step in the foot, don't ever step foot in a kitchen. That's the role of a woman. That's the role of a wife. And so men, many of you, you were taught this from your moms, not necessarily your dad. And so we got to unlearn a lot of things today. And so may God just kind of encourage you to do that, to unlearn. God, we thank you that you're a God of justice. And justice at its heart is to treat people equitably. And God, we as men have not done that with women. From the beginning of time, we have not treated them equitably. They were created in your very image. Lord, we thank you that you've been such a radical example in the first century. The things that you did was just, not just uncommon, but it was just so wrong in the eyes of many spiritual men. But yet you did it because you saw women the way God sees women. You relied upon them, depended on them to support your ministry. They were your best friends. You entrusted them with the message of the resurrection. And they did. They were faithful to proclaiming it. So God, I pray that you would help us as a church where we would know that this matters to you. This is not a political thing, but it's a gospel thing. And so help us. And I pray for any woman in here that's been deeply marred, hurt, and scarred because of an abuse they experienced from a man, whether it be verbal, physical, or sexual. I pray that if those wounds are still fresh, that you would bring healing in their lives and that they would be able to find somebody to share that with so they can have some comfort in their lives. And teach us men to understand, to respect, and appreciate the depth of how a woman feels when they've been so deeply wronged by a man. May we never brush it off and think that it's not a serious offense that was taken on them. But may we be able to uphold and respect them and serve them the best we can so they can experience true, true healing. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so there's some next steps I'd love for you to take. You can flip your communication card. Uh, the first one is that if you've never committed your life to Jesus and uh, you want to do that today, or you've done that uh, through just this time of prayer by yourself, just check that off. And then I, I want to encourage you to go out to the, uh, new, new, um, the next table, which is really like our new believers table. We'd love for you to go out there. We have a packet, sort of like a packet to help you to grow in your relationship with God. So make sure you grab that. Second, I'm going to reflect on how my view of women differs from God's and share it with a woman this week. Okay? I'm going to reflect on my view of, on how my view from women differs from God and share it with a woman this week. And then just two things just kind of practical to kind of be a part of this church because I think you realize that we can't make it spiritual unless we're actually deeply involved in a church community. It's really important. Uh, first, Connections Dinner on September 16th. Uh, it's kind of like an opportunity for you to learn more about Metro. It's, it's really for newcomers, but if you've never been to a Connections Dinner, I'd love to invite you to do that. It'll be at my home on the 16th at 4 p.m. Uh, check that off. We'll get more information to you on the week of, uh, of, of the 16th. And the last one is partnership class. Uh, if you've taken the Connections Dinner you've, and you kind of learn and you want to take the steps of what it means to be a partner, a fully invested partner in this church, which would be one of the best, probably one of the most spiritual decisions you'll make this year, uh, please check that off. And we'll get